Hey everyone, my name is Ricardo Avila. Let me ask you something. Does your heart race when you hear great music? I thought so. Does your heart ache when you hear a compelling story? I know it does. I also know your heart is going to love listening to the PC Music Diary. Your favorite popping collars hosts, maybe a surprise guest star or two, reveal the songs that have had the biggest impact on their lives through heartwarming, heartbreaking, and heartfelt stories. So listen to your heart and check out the PC Music Diary on the Popping Collars feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Pop, pop goes the heartbreak. Right, it's a foyer. I never met a comic use the word foyer. Look, it's, I, I thought that's the right word. It might be the right word. It's just foyer. All right. Okay. All now, right. are we recording this? Is this the way it works? Yes, we're recording now. So, is this uh, the show? So, what's going on in here? Dad, get out! Get the hell out! Man, I just had a flashback to me in my bedroom. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. The longest running Episcopal podcast of all time. The number one Christmas podcast on Pandora in December. I thought we had a rating in Iceland. Where where was that? You're jumping the gun. You're but here jumping you go. on his line. Let him go back to the beginning. You've got to wait, sorry, sorry, wait sorry, Pandora. Sorry. Yeah, tell the year of Pandora. Number one Christmas podcast on Pandora in December of 2020. And here you go, Betsy. New, new stats. Stats. According, I love it. According to an unsolicited email, the number 158th <laughs> religion and spirituality podcast in Iceland. Yes. The number, the number 124th religion and spirituality podcast in Qatar? Cutter? Oh, we jumped like 25 spots. They hosted the the World Cup. Yeah, well, I think it's World Cup yeah. traffic that we're getting. I think it's probably World Cup traffic. That's probably true. It's all our Nordic followers who were there, <laughs> and that's what happened. Got it. And the number three religion and spirituality podcast in Guyana. It's amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Hello, Guyana. What is the popular like? Let's not disparage Guyana. Exactly. So I actually no, I was like, so how do I say alo? Hello. So uh, so a hearty alo alo. Yes, Guyana. And Messi, Messi. Uh, thank you. That's thank you. I love Excellent. it. Yeah, to our I listeners in Guyana right Guyana. now. So there you go. Messi, Messi, Guyana. This doesn't feel like this could really be big. Yeah, eight hundred and four thousand five hundred and okay. This is gonna. This is gonna sound stupid. What? What? Which Guyana are we referring to? It's Guyana is South in, America. Uh, it's in South America, exactly. Yeah. So this is the Jim Jones Guyana. Five hours later. We got to cut all of that. Yeah, we, we're, we cannot. We cannot talk about. What's going on? Everything after Alo and Messi. <laughs> so here's the part where we come out of the girl from Ip- Ipanema soundbite that I used to cover over all of that. 
Yes. And I say, I am your host. My name is Greg Knight. I am the associate for Christian formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are my co-hosts from the nation's capital, Betsy Carmody. Sort of. Sort of. Adjacent. I'm from Alexandria, Greg. I'm the home of the Masons. I'm the home of National Treasure. That's where I am. No, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia, and home of Episcopal High School, where I serve as the head chaplain and where we are pulling around the bend with our seniors. They're almost done with class. Mm. Thank the sweet Lord Jesus. They're going to be doing some internships for the month of May. But it is, we we are close. close. I always love this part of the pod, Betsy, because you're always like struggling to get to spring break, struggling (laughs) to get (laughs) Greg, are you sensing a theme in my narrative? I love my job. (laughs) I love my job. I do. I do. I love these kids. But there does become a certain point in at the end of the school year mm-hmm. where everybody's kind of done. Yeah. Like everyone wants to be in summer. So I think we're kind of in that place. And more pe- some people feel they've already started summer, which is troubling for their grades <laughs> and for their advisors. But the rest of us, so we're just trying to kind of feel our way along to get there. But I, I love my job. I love my job. From the nation's heartland, it's Liz Easton. Hey, Greg. I am in the nation's heartland. My name is Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary <laughs> diocese of Nebraska. But speaking of the nation's capitable, I capitable, capitable, capitable. I was just watching an episode of The West Wing before we started recording that made me cry, cry, cry. So if I sound a little emotional, it's just because I've been revisiting the Bartlett administration. That being said, I'm doing great. Um, there's no summer break here. There's no spring break, but things are going well. It's starting to feel like spring, which alone is a little bit of a break when you live in the nation's heartland. If you want to be a priest in the diocese of Nebraska, which is a great diocese, by the way, give me a call. I've got some, I'd love to get you into the diocese of Nebraska today. What can I do to make that happen? <laughs> it's it's really weird. Our listeners can't hear or they can't see that you're wearing this kind of top hat and this yes. little coat uh-huh. and you're really pitching it. You're pointing yeah. at, at the, your camera. We want exactly. you. There's like flags <laughs> flying in the wind all around yes. me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Episcopal, Episcopal like... church flags. Episcopal church flags. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Dice like is that. in Nebraska yeah. Pla- flags. Pride yeah. flags. We've got I mean, all the flags. Yeah, see, all the flags. I was envisioning like um, a used car salesman. Like, how can I get you in this diocese today? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Oh. No, that's a good thing. You'll be president of Nebraska. That's That's right. right. Uh, And that last voice that you heard from the nation's supplier of Netflix entertainment, it's Ricardo Avila. Hey, Greg. Yes, indeed. Los Gatos, California is the home of Netflix. Although, as you know, it is worldwide at this point. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. Easter is over, but it feels busier than ever. Um, oh, Easter uh, not over. Oh, it's Easter season. Ooh, you got to cut that. William's not going to like that. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story of William? We were at a Walgreens and it was like Easter week or the week after or whatever. And all the Easter candy was half off. And he's standing there in the aisle and he looks around and shouts, don't you people know Easter season? It's still Easter. Why are these on sale? <laughs> that is so on brand. I don't 
I know. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? He says. So, um, you know, I, the bit of news I have is that I think the thing I said last month, I'm going to the Holy Land at the end of May. And uh, from there, going to the south of Spain, uh, which I've never been to. I'm very excited about. Uh, five weeks away. We'll see how the parish does without me. They'll probably thrive. And I'll be mad. <laughs> but uh, no, I'll be happy. All is well. I got nothing else to add. Nice. Love it. Today... We are talking about alternative pop culture. I can kind of hear a collective groan from around the country uh, when I say alternative pop culture. You know, this kind of sense of, oh, here we go, popping collars, going to talk about the 90s again because it was so great and so special. But you're wrong because we're not talking about the wildly popular musical trend of the early 90s. And instead, we're discussing anything from pop culture that isn't Part of the big four media that we usually bring up television, film, music, or books. Yes, this is our chance to go outside of our usual bounds to the world of podcasts, games, sports, theme parks, theater, etc. In fact, will this episode feature the long requested popping collars take on the Broadway? hit show Hamilton. Probably not, but we'll only know for sure when we go to the bag. The magic bag. The bag. I mean, what are you, a magician? What is happening <laughs> with your voice right now? It we is go What's I think that? he's out of the bag. He's distracting us from a trick that's happening off stage. Oh, it's real. Oh, it says me. It's me. Deserved. Deserved. Mm. I I mocked the bag, and the bag got its revenge on me right out of the box. Yes. I was thinking broadly, and I was thinking, man, there's a lot of potential things that you could talk about. And I couldn't really settle on one. So in honor of Betsy, I'm going to do a quick honorable mention for something (laughs) that's not my pick. And then I'll say my pick. This is this is the equivalent of Ricardo's three things. Is Mr. <laughs> Honorable Mention over here, who is always can't make up his mind, so has to kind of keep it all open. All right, what what is your honorable mention? Go for it, Greg. I'm behind you. Yeah, yeah, Ricardo supports you. So I bought a new car. I think I told you guys <gasps> this, right? I bought a new car and I wrecked it. Yeah, I talked about yeah, that. Yeah, you wrecked it. Yeah, yeah. We talked you about had this, a lawyer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you hit a lawyer. Yeah, we remember. <laughs> well, the car got fixed. Everything's fine now. Um, but the thing about my new car is that it has a feature that I never had before, which is that it will sense my my phone. Like I can Bluetooth. Do you know about the Bluetooth? Have you heard of this? I am so aware like, all very aware yeah. of Well, okay. So I had a tape player in my last car. So just bear with me here. <laughs> The car will like sense my telephone and I can pull up my Spotify list and the car will play from my Spotify like stuff. And it will sort of randomly select things from a playlist that I have. And one of the things that selected the other day was an interlude on the Lauren Hill unplugged album. It was interlude number five. And it's basically it's her kind of talking for a while while she looks for a piece of music that she 
can't seem to find. And so she's just kind of like rambling to the audience while she is looking for this piece of music. But she ends up saying like some really profound stuff. And there's a little bit that I wanted to pull uh, because it hit me uh, really kind of hard. So she's talking about this idea of like this idea of celebrity and the celebrity machine and how she needed to behave a certain way and act a certain way. And she got to the point that like she was having a hard time being real because so much depended on her being a product because there were people that were dependent on her being like a pop star in order for them to like maintain employment through her. And she says this thing where she says, So now I'm just, you know, after all that, I'm just ready to be me. And it's a lot to work through, you know, because all of us have have, have hidden in these little boxes purposely because of parts of ourselves that we weren't happy about and we didn't love, we just because we didn't understand. You know, because there's all this social doctrine that says, you know, that the infinite God with all this expression who created every single one of us absolutely different on purpose wants everybody to fit into the same suit. I'm like, you know, that's deception. That's deception. We took, we were in um, Florida this weekend and we took the kids to Disney World and, um, and we were going, you know, they gave us a tour, so they escorted us through the back. And when they escorted us through the back, we got to see how, you know, how there was all these people working all hard, and it was, like, real dirty back there. And, of course, in the front, it was all immaculately clean. And, and I said, I said, you know, people need to see the reality. They need to see, you know, how these people slaved to, to maintain this illusion. It felt like my life. I said, if people only knew what it was, it's like, you know, a bunch of musicians, listen, busting their, mm, all right, working all hard to make it look easy. What's the point? Yeah, I'm a, you know, oh, uh, I just threw this together. Uh, you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, slaving, slaving to act like, you know, I, I wake up like this. And none of us do, you know, none of us do. None of us do. And, and reality is good, because that means everybody can just exhale, let your belly out, you know, and chill, you know. But people get mad at me when I say, look, let's stop fronting. And I'm saying, you know, that's the blessing. Now we can go around and look at each other and say, oh, you got one too? And be free. <laughs> we want to defend the curse, I tell you. That's not fun. Did it for a long time. Too long. You didn't find it? It's another white one. But it's, in, it's either in, in my purse, or the, the, the other bag, or the green one. Ghetto. You know, it's reality. <laughs> Are they ready? <laughs> One time, I, it, it came to me, you know, I was just told very concretely, you know, it was like that voice, the right one, said to me, he said, Lauren, you know, the real you is more interesting than the fake somebody else. I just want you to know that. Because we always thought we can get, you know, we could get reality by just putting on the clothes and wearing the face and, you know, looking hard in the video or, you know. <laughs> Reality, it's like I've always talked to my husband. I said, look, you know, 
we look at Bob Marley, we say, okay, let's just grow locks and wear the clothes and have the band. And we have no idea how many years of struggle and pain and suffering that made that content. You see what I'm saying? You can't, you can't get it from the outside in. Truth is from the inside out, you know? And the way we've been trying to heal and be healed is with these topical, surface, superficial, temporary solution. And I'm telling you, true healing is, is, is from the inside out. You know, we've been told to protect our outer man while our inner man is dying. <laughs> oh, this is the one. Okay. I mean, it's just like she's coming up with this stuff off of the top of her head. Yeah, it's deep. And I'm like listening to it. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it's just incredible. That is anyway. a sermon. Anyway, what I really wanted to talk about was pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. That's nice. All right, segment. this is this is a real throwback, though, for <laughs> for those who know the origin story of this podcast. Yeah, That's we've right. talked about pro wrestling. Before. Greg, right. Greg did a project in Pop Goes Religion about pro wrestling mm-hmm. as liturgy and yeah, ritual. I love it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So no, I. I so I say pro wrestling, but really what I mean is sort of live entertainment and how we've inherited um, some forms of live entertainment. And I wanted to talk a little bit about vaudeville and what sort of came out of the vaudeville machine. So vaudeville was like um, traveling road entertainment in the early 20th century, late 19th century, early 20th century, where like, you know, you would have these traveling bands of like, uh, strong people, sort of circus performers, uh, stand-up comics, uh, magicians, and yes, uh, sometimes you would have like simulated conflict, simulated um, like wrestling and stuff. And the idea behind all of this is that it was it was like a carnival, right? You would go from town to town. You would sort of trick people into giving you their money for entertainment. And then you would take it and you would roll on to the next town. My fascination with it is that so many of the things that probably should have stopped working once we had like functioning televisions and internet and stuff like that, we still do. And we still kind of pass it off like the carny sort of event that it is. And pro wrestling is one of these things where it's like, you know, this is something that probably should have gone away a long time ago. It's really embarrassing to say that you like it. It's one of the things in popular culture that like, you know, even video games and superhero movies have had their day. But pro wrestling is still one of those things that if you say you're a fan of, you feel really embarrassed to say that you're a fan of it. It also still does this thing where it attempts to deceive you by presenting what it's doing as actually real when everyone knows that it's a staged performance. It's a simulated show, right? It just makes me think about entertainment in general, which is to say that, like, is all entertainment at its core sort of a deception? And I think what I like about vaudeville, which is kind of similar to what Lauren Hill is saying, is that if you kind of pick away at it just a little bit, it's really not trying to lie to you. I mean, like if you watch pro wrestling for a little while, you realize that it's really silly and like really staged. 
but that's not the point of it. The point of it is to foster a sense of drama and intrigue and, you know, construct a match in a way that you could go to it feeling bored, but by the end of it, you're feeling very excited. You know, in a world where sponsored content and influencer culture and all of the stuff that we talked about last last month kind of exists in a world of like, well, is that real? Or is that really what that person thinks? Or is that what that person does? Like things like vaudeville seem quaint and fun to me. And uh, and the remnants of them still feel quaint and fun to me. Like Mm -hmm. in preaching, I feel like my job is to tell the truth. And I also feel like my job is to captivate you. And when that works, when that happens, it is a really magical thing. Yeah, because the dark side of the carnival circuit and the vaudeville circuit was the revival circuit, right? Which is like captivating you so that they can deceive you and not tell you the truth, but still take your money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Modern day wrestling, sort of wrestling in the current era is really about gymnastics. It's about body control. It's very athletic in the way that it's designed. There's still this aspect to it that's like, if we're going to do it, we're going to put on a show that makes you think, wow, I didn't know the human body could twist and turn and move that way in the air, on the ground. Like It's very much sort of a showcase of athletic and gymnastic potential, I think. Um, But you have to hide it like you still have to hide it behind a story and a facade. And that's the part that I love. It's like everything about it is real, but everything about it is false at the same time. I just think that the way that the way that you play with that, it just feels like um, I don't know. It just feels like a really lost art. The American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the resident fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard times. That's hard times. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And so we- I, I know we probably tapped out <laughs> this topic, but I just have four quick things to say. <laughs> More. Tapped out. Four tapped out. I just want to say good job on that. Tap- 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, so number one, I think it's perfectly possible. And these wrestlers, case in point, to be a, a, a straight person, a straight guy, to be a straight guy and really like wrestling with other guys. Yeah. I mean, it's not it, whatever the homoerotic business or whatever it it it, <coughs> it does for you. You don't have to be gay and to actually really enjoy it. I think that I kind of like that. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to think that straight guys don't have to, you know, can kind of manhandle each other and have it. Maybe this is erotic for me. I don't know. But, it's very uh, strategic. I mean, it's very strategic. Isn't that just sports? as a sport? Like when you yeah. watch football, you know, do you think like that's true? That's true. Yeah. But I'm thinking even in like the backyard, you know, like mm-hmm. college frat guys who aren't gay just enjoy the physicality of it. So yeah, like puppies. Mm-hmm. A little bit, yeah. And that's kind of sweet. I like that they can still that that can still happen. Second thing is, um, I I do like that sense of a moral universe uh, in the wrestling world. That there there is the good guy has to triumph or something right. bad will you know or things are not right with the world. And part of me wants to say that's that's like a lot of art. It's escapism from things that don't go well in reality. You know, the bad guy does win in real life mm-hmm. and here because you feel like things are going to work out in the end until the next drama. That there's a sense of catharsis that uh, the viewer gets to feel like justice is served when so little is justed. It, so little about life is justice. And is it more of a working class thing? Is that so? I think so. So I, I love that that that's there. And then the third thing I will say, I know you're handling that bag there. Just hang on. <laughs> the third thing is that um, I think some of the audience really does invest a lot of emotion. They may know deep down that it's not real, but yeah. like you see those people in those events with those signs, they're they're rooting for their person and they're like down with whoever, the rock when he was the bad guy or whatever. And I've heard of and maybe even seen, I don't know. I feel like I know that like little kids will cry. They'll be devastated when their wrestler gets beaten. And so I, I would imagine some adults do that as well. So they're really invested in it. And then the fourth thing <laughs> I've forgotten. So <laughs> I'll just let that one go. It works best for kids, but all sort of magic tricks work best for kids. I think. All right. I have drawn a B for Betsy. So I struggled because I wanted to pick something on social media. And I know that Greg isn't on social media, which is hard because, and my sister also isn't either, but there are so many things that I find I have proclivities with people that I love and it's tough to kind of, anyway. So I'm choosing an Instagram feed of the greedy peasant as he crossed your, so those of you with phones who have Instagram accounts. No, I'm looking it up right now talking to you so so i discovered the greedy peasant during the pandemic i think perhaps i don't know whether i haven't read as deeply into the genesis of this as a character but um he is the creation of um a gay man who is a costume designer his name is tyler gunther but he is the peasant What's and his so, handle? So, I can't find him in here. What's his handle? Greedy.peasant. Oh, I see it. I see it. I'm there. So for <laughs> those of us who have, who have studied church history, right? He is he is situating himself as a peasant who desperately would like to be the lead designer for the religious pageants that happen in his town. You know, the large carried things in the square. You know, you need to design the costumes with colors that 
that are kind of big and bold that designate who a character is because the audience could be very far away, the other peasants who have showed up, right? You know, he's got a brother who's a monk who's taken a, you know, vow of silence and he'll go and visit him occasionally. It's all him playing these different roles. He um, has some a couple of reliquaries that he makes kind of talk to one another who've lately been doing a um, um, kind of law and order takeoff of reliquary crime. Dun Dun, who are basically like talking about different fake sold reliquaries around, you know, that are like real news and things like that. He celebrates things like um, September, which is in uh, September, and he goes and visits cemeteries in medieval New York, which is where he lives. And and so it's it's a he recently posted a great video on the feed, which is kind of an introduction to the gay fever dream that is the greedy peasant and kind of about his world, right. And kind of how all of that works. So he, he'll do some astrology. He has different costumes that he's designed for those things um, that are really beautiful. I mean, his work is actually pretty incredible. As a Catholic, Palm Sunday is the best mass of the year because you get a prop. Everyone gets their own palm leaf and you get to hold it the entire time. Boredom, be gone. You have a palm leaf now. You can gently wave it. You can steal your mom's. You can try to tickle your brother during the homily. You can tear it in two. You can fold it. You can try and fold it into a cross like you saw people do last year. You can give up and try and steal your dad's palm so that you will be rich. You can get jealous of your brother because he remembered how to make the palm leaf cross. And you can make plans for your revenge next Palm Sunday. He loves a tassel. Tassels are very... <laughs> I have not appreciated tassels in the same way since I've started following. Who doesn't love a tassel? Who doesn't love a beautifully rendered tassel on a headstone? Who doesn't love... a Like, he has curtain companies and like upholstery companies who send him these remnants and cast-offs. He'll do like these unboxing things that he'll, that will have, he has now two giant tassels that he's now fashioned into being children. Who are Gwen is Dwayne, he an Episcopalian though? <laughs> he is a recovering Catholic. Okay. I believe. So a lot of this is kind of poking fun at Catholicism of the pre-Reformation time. And so if you imagine this being hatched during the pandemic, when much of peasantry is living through pandemics, and so he's housed all of it in that idea, but that he is able to, he just has created the peasant himself as this full rounded character. He recently, I think it was the Moon Tower Festival that just happened in Seattle. So he did his first live show in Austin. And, uh, and, and I think it's, I think a lot of people have positively responded to his aesthetic as well as his openness. You know, like he'll he'll do some of these videos and basically he's just eating. He'll he has like Entenmann's donuts, which are not medieval in nature, but you know, just these little things that you start to pick up on that he's doing, and like he'll do like a whole pop up book on how monasteries are designed. And so, like the church geek in me is loving all of this right because this is the stuff we've studied and he's kind of giving you this person on the ground but he never gets the pageantry job right there's another guy who keeps getting picked by the bishop in town to be the pageantry guy 
So there's this always this little chip on his shoulder. There's always this thing he's striving for um, to try to kind of reach and be. But also being an out gay peasant man, that then that that's an element too of of what's going on as well. So there's a queering of all of it. Mm. I just want to say again that he would make a great Episcopalian. (laughs) I'm just saying, like we've been queered. You know what I mean? Like let's the the queering has happened. Like, listen, I mean, if we're really needing to really regain our Catholic with a small C church thing, like let's get the greedy peasant. Get him up at wow. some general convention action. No, I think oh he's God, how fun he's would just, that be? He's just so it's so smart, and it really just shows his great interest. He will bring joy to your feed if you are an Instagram user. the The specificity of what he's doing makes me think that he 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 has figured out exactly what he wants to do with his creative life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, just doing it doesn't matter what people think, what he does or doesn't get paid, because there's so many layers. First of all, the queer thing and then medieval peasant thing and all the story mm-hmm. around that and wanting to be fabulous with the religious stuff. And then the the rivalry with the other person who gets the job all the time. I mean, it's a whole mm-hmm. little world. Yeah, I think, is- Ricardo, I know that your husband isn't probably on Instagram. Oh. But this, this might be um, right up his this alley. This could be right up I mean. Yeah, William is definitely into vestments. Um, I don't know if he'd be into the outlandish aspects of this, but in his spare time, like I'll hear, I'll hear the music. He'll go and watch church services and then come and tell me they were wearing that bishop was wearing the Rochet and Shamir backwards. I don't even understand how you can do that. And he'll say that one was missing the maniple. What they all had maniples except for the subdeacon. What is that about? And he'll note all this stuff. And you know, it's usually for fun. He loves it. I'll hear the church music. Oh, William's at it again. That's yeah. so um, sweet. So, um, yeah. so uh, I want to tell on William about one more thing. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he called me over to the, he said, I've got to show you this. You're not going to believe this. And so he shows me this clip from this, this Eucharist mass, they would call it from all saints, Margaret street, which is a very Anglo Catholic church in London, like kind of as high as you can go just about. And um, there were like, I don't know, 20 people at the altar, acolytes and the clergy and all this stuff. And I forget it was, it was, it, I, for, I don't, I don't know if it was Maundy Thursday or after Easter or what, but they're all around, but there's this one acolyte that's kneeling over oddly over there. And I'm, well, what's he doing? He flicks this switch and the tabernacle starts rising up. No. Out into the. No. Yes. Going up. And then it docks at the top into some silver contraption. All all while the choir, the choir is like singing madly. It's like, I said, William, that is ridiculous. What is that even about? I don't know. But the guy flicked the switch. You could tell he went like this. And there goes the little spaceship tabernacle. It's like on hydraulics. Did William like it? Like, did he think that that was a nice thing? Or was that too much thing? I think he loved it. I bet (laughs) Um, I think he worried that it might have been theologically uh, blasphemous, but mm-hmm. I think he loved it. And All Saints Margaret Street is beautiful. And it's got, you know, huge ceilings. Gosh. All right. Like, I don't know how churches like that, just really quickly. I don't know how churches 
like that get away with that without like the hydraulics breaking down halfway through is like oh oops sorry (laughs) we really messed that up i'm sure they've heard you're in the middle of the service oh god i know that would be my luck yeah it's a lot of work all right uh i pulled an r out of the bag for ricardo Okay, well, you know, interestingly enough, this was easy for me to do. In fact, it came to me right away, this alternative pop culture. Uh, but then I thought, well, no, I should do something different. And I just kept coming back to it. So uh, my alternative pop culture pick is is art museums. And it's so funny because I don't think about art museums very much. My favorite thing to do in life, period, is to travel. Hmm. And I, I'm we're very Eurocentric. I will just kind of say that up front. And at this point, I'm trying to talk William into going to Japan. We'll see. But um, everywhere we go, we've got to go to the art museum, the main art museum. And it's one of the joys of the trip. And it's 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 kind of hard to explain. You all have been to art museums. I was trying to think, is this really pop culture? But I tell you what, if you've stood in a line at the Musée d'Orsay for like 45 minutes in in the line where you already have your pass, uh, you know it's popular. Since its opening in 1986, it's housed the largest collection of Impressionist and post-Impressionist masterpieces in the world. Even if you don't consider yourself an art lover, as someone who exists in the world, I can almost guarantee that you'll recognize many of the pieces here, like the best-known works of artists like Van Gogh, Renoir, Monet, and Degas. Altogether, there are around 2,000 paintings and 600 sculptures from the period between 1848 and 1914. Expect lots of other people here, because this is clearly a popular place. You can buy tickets ahead online. However, when we were there, there was still a line for reserve tickets, albeit shorter than the line we were in. I've always loved art museums, and I think it's partly because of my background. I think in my life, not to get too personal, you know, in my life, uh, you know, my parents were immigrants from Mexico. They had second grade educations. And at some point in college, I took an art history, two art history classes. And I just thought that like European art was like the kind of the, the pinnacle of what to aspire to, to kind of get away from my background kind of thing. Um, not on purpose, but I think up it, kind of subconsciously you know, great artwork masterpieces. And so, and you can actually cut that out. I don't know if that's even important, but I love it. And so I- I, I, I think I, it's totally important. I think it's totally important. Well, I, it's so funny because a part of me is like, well, this is from an unhealthy place, but it's just the joy I feel in an art museum. You know, so often we'll travel somewhere. Well, there was like the the hottest day ever in Vienna and um, the art museum was air conditioned. You know, and people are relatively quiet in an art museum and you can just dawdle and meander and you can, you know, wait for the 30 people to get out of your way so that you can see the Rembrandt and take a picture if you want. There's just something so peaceful and fulfilling. And and there is something about all this artwork that when you get to know it, or if I know the art, I feel like a smart guy, you know, I know civilization and there's history, you know, there's there's historical things, you know, what was happening when, um, you know, Goya did his paintings uh, that are in the Prado, or what was happening when, um, 
the 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 uh, impressionists and post-impressionists were painting in Paris and in France, and what was the upheaval and the 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 kind of the cultural kind of revolutions that were going on. And I've learned that stuff over the years, starting in college. And so I feel like I'm part of something. And I think that's what I love. So we'll go to all these art museums. And I thought, well, how am I going to present on this? This is a, it's, that's a very visual thing. And this is a podcast, it's audio. So I'll just say, um, this is going to sound braggy, but I've been to all these places and these are my favorite art museums. <laughs> okay. And Top five. Uh, I've, got, I've got, I don't know how to, I got 10. <laughs> oh my it, Lord. It really is going to sound like I'm a snobby little something, but um, I don't care. Probably near the top is the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. It's a, it's a former train station and its thing is like 19th and maybe early 20th century art, uh, especially around, around the Paris, you know, area in France and such. So they've got amazing work. There's a whole room where you, even if you don't know art hardly at all, you will recognize at least seven paintings in there. You know, there's Manet, Monet, Van Gogh, Renoir, Gauguin, etc. Um, and I love that's the first room you're supposed to go to kind of. That's the unspoken rule. You go there and you see all the classics and then you work your way down through the museum. And the Musée d'Orsay is 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 big, but it's a, a great space. It's got a big atrium and a huge clock that's like an old-fashioned, like Art Deco-y, like that movie about the kid in the train station. Is it Hugo? Remember that mm-hmm. movie? Yes. So that that clock, that kind of clock, is exactly what I'm talking about. So it's also and it's romantic, and you feel like you're part of something. So I love the Musée d'Orsay. I love the Vatican, which is always mobbed. Uh, so you want to go early or at lunchtime, but ideally early, and you run to the Sistine Chapel, and you watch, just sit there and look at the ceiling and the artwork as much as you can. So the Musée d'Orsay in Paris, the Vatican in Rome, I love the Prado in Madrid, they have some great Goya paintings. Um, I love the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, actually, has really good stuff. And I lived in Boston for Two, on two occasions, once for six months and once for a year, my favorite smaller museum is in Bruges, and it's called the Groninga. And here I will do a, a screen share, even though the audience can't see. Uh, this is one of my favorite paintings there. It's called The Last Supper by Peter Porbus. So it's your basic Last Supper, right? And they're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. There's a table, there's a chair overturned, etc. But coming in off in the room is... No. A demon chicken man. <laughs> is he going yeah. for Judas? Is he like no, Judas, Judas has the Judas? He's the Maybe. devil, and he's heading yeah. for Judas, who's the redhead with the money bag. They see yeah. money bag. And there's the devil <laughs> tempting him with the chicken feet. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Further demonization of redheads. Yeah, like that poor ginger. He's in trouble. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you find stuff like that in music. Who's this little guy down here grabbing Judas's chair? I think he's like the kid who's the busboy or something. Oh, it looked like he was like. And then who's grab? Like, I'm sorry. I want to exit. Who looks, who, looks dr- <laughs> who looks drunk below Jesus? Who's that guy? He's in his cups. Yeah. I think he's that's in his. <laughs> he's looking at something in his he hand. In he's it. Li- 
He's looking yeah. at something in his hand. That's John. He looks. Yeah, that's a beloved disciple. That's what I would guess. It's yeah. distinctly in at? Jesus' life. Jesus is calling a timeout, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He's saying, hold on, flag on the play. What's going on? With the chicken man. Oh, it's a cruet. I couldn't tell what that was in his oh, yeah, hand. So it's, it's an a, open a, cruet. Okay. Chalice. It's yeah. a chalice. He has a chalice in his hand. I'm looking at the ball guy with son. the... Yeah, he has a crew. Oh, he has a crew. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just, I love art. I love art museums. I love the feeling of being in an art museum. I love being in a foreign country and yet feeling like I am an expert where I am, you know? Yeah. And there's something about that that feels like you're, you're engaging a culture that's actually more of a, you know, it's not tied to Paris or Boston or Bruges or Amsterdam. Because it's, it's you know, it's universal if you like that art. Everybody knows the Van Gogh. So I just, I feel like I'm part of something larger. And I think that's one of the great things about any art, uh, that that it can make us feel like we are a part of things. And so I, I'm just going to name again my top 10 museums. The Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, the Vatican in Rome, the Prado in Madrid, the Groningen Museum in Bruges. The Art Museum in Montserrat, Spain, which is this small museum that shocks you because it's got such great artwork and it's in the middle of nowhere. The Musée d'Orsay in Paris, Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, the Art Institute in Chicago, the Alta Pinakothek in Munich, and the Kunsthistorisches Museum in Vienna. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I feel so lucky. That's it. Well, you say that it comes from a place of not being okay with your identity. I think you've grown this interest into something that is beyond that initial yes. desire. You know, yes. you you wouldn't, if you were still in that place, it'd be like, well, I drug myself to another museum. Like, you know, now you love it. Like it's a part of how you travel. It's a part of how you communicate with your partner. It's a, it's just so much a part of, of things. Yes. And I think it's interesting that you've transformed something that was a self-critical aspect into something that becomes something to celebrate. Yes. And I think I actually really all always did like this stuff. I just sort of felt like, I don't know, like, am I escaping? Am I trying to escape my background? I will say mm-hmm. tied to that. And I think this is the last thing I need to say. When I was in Mexico City years ago with a friend, my best friend from college, we were at the Archaeological Museum in Mexico City, which is also amazing, but it's a whole different thing. It's it's you know, it's sculptures and statues and religious things like Aztecs and calendars. And I was going along, and the way they tell you the story, right? They talk about the civilizations. You know, there was the Toltecs and the Mayans and the Aztecs. And at a certain point, I and this is personal. I, you know, sometimes some kids growing up first generation born in the U.S., let's just say they're Mexican-American like me, you kind of think, gosh, what's wrong with us? You know, my parents, we were poor. My friends were all white and they kind of had more money. And so you have this kind of comparison thing going on. I go to this museum and I realize there's this whole rich civilization that I never learned about with Mm -hmm. this amazing art and I started, I started bawling. I'm in this mm-hmm. museum and I go to my friend. I like, why didn't anyone ever tell me? Why didn't anyone ever tell me this existed? There was all this stuff that I could have been proud of, you know, but wow. I never learned about it until I went to college and took, you know, the Mexican history class or 
you know, and it's not my favorite art. I do like the European stuff, but I appreciate that there was some magnificence that we're not really exposed to. So it's like grief. It was like grief for not having been told I was, you know, great, that the great stuff was in Europe or was white. Yeah. So, yeah. so I hold that as well, but I do love the art. So that's my pick. Go to an art museum. It's great. That's Thank me. you for that's that. Awesome. That was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Art. Okay, that leaves uh one last person, which is L for Liz. Um listen, I kind of cheated, but I didn't know that I was cheating. So forgive me. If I had had this thought more than 30 seconds ago, I would have picked the national parks. So pretend that that's a thing that I'm ready to talk about today because I love the national yes. parks and I feel like they kind of fit into this a little mm-hmm. bit, but yeah, that's not what I'm talking absolutely. about. <clears throat> you mentioned YouTube, Greg, as like a possible alternative pop culture that we could talk about, which reminded me of BookTube. So I'm basically talking about books, which you said we're not supposed to do, but it's through the lens of YouTube. And um, I guess points toward YouTube in general, like there are lots of problematic things about YouTube. It probably radicalizes people. It um, monetizes content in a kind of creepy way. But it also is this universe where hobbies and cultures and subcultures can just like have space and find fans and find connection. So I didn't know that there was such a thing as booktube, which is just like a sub genre of YouTubers until maybe three or four years ago, I did the read harder challenge, which is a reading challenge that comes out from um, a website called book riot. And they give you prompts to find books that fit into different categories and you get to pick the book. They might have some suggestions, but, um, you have to find books that fit all these categories. And they're like, some of them are like, uh, um, they're different every year. They do it every year. It might be like a book that you were assigned in high school, but never read or hated or a graphic novel um, about some particular thing. Um, I remember one was a thriller by a trans or non-binary author. So like you weren't just reading a book by a trans or non-binary author, but it was a particular genre. So there's a lot of like um, hunting and like mm-hmm. research that goes into it. So I started, as I was researching it, I found these YouTube channels of other people who were doing um, the read harder challenge. So you could find suggestions that fit into your categories, which is great. And then that sucked me into the world of booktube. And um, it's exactly what you think it is. It's people who read a lot and then talk about what they read. And some of them have really big platforms and some of them have really small platforms. Some are genre specific. Some are people who are really um, sort of uh, broad readers. And the, the really fun thing about it for me, and this especially sort of became special during the pandemic, is that they also will like tell you about their life in the you know, they might do one video that's about here are the books that I read this month. And the next is like, come along with me for a day trip to this garden or this, you know, whatever. So you get this sense that you're like kind of jumping into people's lives. And my favorite booktubers are both British and they know each other. 
And uh, one is a guy named Simon Savage, who his um, channel is called Savage Reads. And he has since become like a famous book guy in England. I think he began by working at a big public library in England. I can't remember which one I should. And now he does like book content for BBC, but he's just like this very sweet kind of um, guy from, you know, England has a different class consciousness than we do, which is part of book two. Also, he um, kind of comes from a working class background and he's just, just super reader and he just loves to read. What could be better than working for one library service and all of its wonderful 19 libraries with all the wonderful people within it I've had the pleasure of working with than working with 44 library services all across Britain. And that is what I'm going to be doing. And I am so, so excited. So the role has come out of the brilliant project that the BBC initiated last year which is the 100 novels that shaped our world, where a group of judges, fabulous people, including the wonderful Kit DeWall and Juno Dawson, who I adore and know, and also Mariella Frostrup, who's like life goals, um, and along with others like Alexander McCallsmith, I could go on for ages, but um, I'm going to try and keep this video short. They created a list of 100 titles with 10 kind of themes um, and, and 10 books within each one. So for January, for example, it was identity, and they chose books around identity. Now, what's come from that as well is, is that the BBC and the Arts Council and the Reading Agency and British Library and Libraries Connected, who I'll be talking about a little bit more shortly, all have got together and created funding so that 44 library services throughout the country can, and library services include lots of different libraries within them, they have been given money so they can put events on to go along with either the themes that they've got every month or the books that are in the top 100 or indeed the book that started it all off, Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe, which I haven't read, but I will be reading more on that soon as well. Um, because that was seen as the first English novel and so that's 200 years old and that's where this whole project came from. I should have said that, sorry. Um, but yeah, so these events are going to go across the whole country and I am going to be the project manager of those events. I'll be working with those libraries to support them, just checking on how they're doing um, and also evaluating some of them. There is a slight irony because the first library that I'm going to be evaluating or library service I'm going to be evaluating is Liverpool, funnily enough. So um, they've got some corking events. Um, so yeah, so I think my whole title is BBC Novels That Shaped Our World, Libraries events program project manager something like that i might need to work on it a little bit anyway um, and um now he's sort of like parlayed this into a neat career the other is a woman named um lauren who her tag is lauren in the books and um it's just been this really fun way to learn about reading and connect with other people who read and sometimes um there's controversy there's like drama um but between and among booktubers there are, it has been, especially around the time of like George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter, there was some great advocacy that happened around reading, like expanding what you read and um, how to expose yourself to different authors and genres, putting pressure on publishers. Um, book of the Month, which I've been a member of for many years, it was sort of book content creators on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram who push book of the month to diversify their selections. And they did it. They really did that and have done it well. So it's just like such a little slice of life. And I love TikTok as you all know. And so there's, there's book talk also, 
And um, there's, you know, all these people also have Instagram pages. So like Simon Savage, I feel like is my friend. Like, I feel like he, I know him because his content is so personal. And I've even like um, commented on his thing. He's a great, um, he's great at social media. Like he'll comment back, he'll, you know, respond. And um, it just seems like a very sweet guy. So that's I think my it's the selection. same way. I think people feel like Ricardo's their friend too. I think that's. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. yes that's exactly right. That sort of thing. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. That sounds great, Liz. It's really fun. It's fun. And I feel like our book club podcast sort of fits into this genre a little bit. I mean, I can imagine people finding those episodes when just looking through for podcasts about reading. And what's great, all of the ones that I watch are, this is a funny term because it means something in our tradition. I was about to say lay readers. And by that, I don't mean that there are people who stand up and read scripture on Sunday morning. I mean that they are like, normal people with jobs living in the world who just love to read. And for some of them, it's become like a super hobby. Like they're reading hundreds of books a year, a year for others. It's more, um, you know, they, they are real serious readers, but it's, it's their hobby. It's not their profession. And they're just people who love to read and they have their own tastes and they have their own interests. And I'm sure that I don't have any genres that I'm really into, like romance or science fiction or anything. But I think you can get more and more and more specific into the types of genres. So it's just fun. If you're a reader and maybe you don't have a book club or you don't have a lot of friends who read in the same way that you do, it's a way to connect and get good recommendations and good conversations um, in a little community. It's fun. Do you want to make the book club podcast a video offering and then we can put it on youtube with the book <laughs> that would be we could do that we'd have to do it more than once every three months though May, we might yeah would you i don't know we'll mm-hmm. uh we'll put that out for our patreon subscribers <laughs> that's right it's yes episodes <laughs> um liz i i i love um so for me, sometimes like reading about books is almost as gratifying as reading totally. the books themselves. Like, and you, and you know, there are people who get the New York book review every Sunday or whatever, or the London, William gets the London Times book review. And you read like these great articles about books and, and they talk about the history of it's a nonfiction or whatever. So you actually learn by reading mm-hmm. the article. Or you just read about what, you know, they read the reviews for a book and it just makes you feel like you're reading. <laughs> totally. I, yeah, I love that too. And there's an aspect of BookTube for some, especially the bigger platforms, that it feels, <clears throat> excuse me, almost like a sport also. Mm-hmm. Like they're tracking, um, like the literary prizes are a great example. Like they'll predict who the finalists will be for the Booker Prize or like who the long list will be and then what the short list will be. And, um, that's all like just this whole world that is kind of, so it's about books, but it's also about publishing. And sometimes it's about history and sometimes it's about cover design and who the artists are, who are making book covers and Betsy, you're smirking. What are you smirking about? Nerds. Nerds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I know it's that. No, but I know that I'm just as nerdy about movies the oscars or like whatever like i could listen to 
you know, uh, you, the, you must remember this podcast, you know, like that sort of stuff, like, Oh, I love Karina Longworth. And I'm like, yeah, let's dig around in the history of all of this stuff. And it's, it's just, it's, it's that great joy that I'm looking at in you when you find people who want to nerd out. Yeah. Well, and that's the fun thing about it is there are every once in a while you'll stumble upon a creator who is really smart and it's almost like they're in their graduate level English class. And that I like stuff like that, too, but that's not the content I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone like me who comes home after work or just lays in bed for 30 minutes at night just wrapped up in a great book. And then like, they, they yeah. just want to talk about that and they don't necessarily have all of the um, interpretive lenses or the, um, you know, historical and cultural connections. They just kind of love it. And mm-hmm. um, that's what I enjoy. So it's, it, that's fun. You, know, you were talking about controversies on booktube and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have like a, a crossover of like the world wrestling federation yeah. and booktube, like they wrestle it out. The yeah. whatever the controversy was he told he, he's the bad one and i'm gonna get my <laughs> you know he's against america or what <laughs> did we do it we I, did it did we knock it out wow how about that well let me pull up my outro another <laughs> episode of popping collars in the books in the book tube if you will <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can support your favorite Episcopal podcast by buying our merch. Let's go to poppingcollarspodcast.com. Click the little tab at the top and you will find our store full of fabulous items like shirts, tapestries, stickers. Tapestries? No. Gardening shears, (laughs) dog blankets, really small paper clips. Wow. Clocks. <laughs> Pool noodles. Whatever you want with the Popping Collars logo, you should be able to find. You can also find us hanging out in the closed cafe of EpiscopalJournal.org. We love them. You will too. Check them out for all of your Episcopal news and journaling needs. And with that, that is Popping Collars for this time. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Betsy. We'll see you next time, and keep your collars tops. Betsy, you were You're muted. You're muted, Betsy. <laughs> All right, y'all. I was dealing with the dog. I'm sorry. Dealing with the dog is that like slang for something? <laughs> well, no, it's 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 encouraging the teenager to take the dog outside. <laughs> so I couldn't say keep those collars tops. Oh